have a seat, make yourself comfortable, sit back, kick off your shoes. Does that sound gross? Kick off your shoes. You know, I always wanted to, I, I, there was a preacher I used to like to listen to that preached barefoot all the time because he realized that, you know, when you're in the presence of the Lord, it says take your shoes off, you're on holy ground, you know, and there's, there's something to that. But, you know, our, our feet, you know, I, we could line, I promise you, and, and, and you know, no offense or anything, but we could line the 10 prettiest girls in this room up in front of here, and if they took off their shoes and socks and we looked really close at their feet, <laughs> really, no offense, uh, I am guilty too. I mean, they're just not pretty. Um, they're just not. Um, but feet are funny things because... Um, man, I don't know about y'all. I, why is he talking about this? I love, does anybody love a foot massage? I love a good foot massage. I just feel so good. Ladies go for the pedicure thing and, you know. What, but man, that foot massage, I mean, I, I complain a lot in my house that I need a foot massage. My, I asked my wife permission to say that. She does not like doing it. But she's a good woman. She does it. She, she did it before we came to the marriage seminar. I, I mean, there's a whole science of using pressure points in your feet. They call it reflexology. And, and, and they can push in different spots on your foot where the nerve endings are apparently, and it helps heal other things in your body. There's a whole nother deal. I don't know if it's true or not. Some people say it's a scam. I don't know. Where Have you ever seen they put those patches on your feet and you sleep in it and you pull it off and it's nasty, dirty, and they say it's sucking the toxins out of the bottom of your feet. Have you seen that? It's gross. Anyways, some people say it's real. Some people say it's not. The whole point is this. There's just something about your feet that can actually induce health in the rest of your whole body. It, it really can. You just feel better. And, and, and obviously I'm talking about this because we're in a passage of Scripture right now in John chapter 13 where Jesus washes the disciples' feet. And, and there's a great lesson to be learned in this story of Jesus washing the disciples' feet. And, and I want you to realize that God, who is the author of all human life, he put life together the way it is and our physical bodies. And, and he understands that just as you can manipulate the nerve endings in your feet and your whole body can become healthy, that there's going to be something connected with that idea, that something about your feet being clean is going to help your entire spiritual life. And that's what I want us to focus on when we look at this. Jesus washing his feet, and there's really a lot more to this than the obvious, okay? So let's just jump in with the first four verses in John chapter 13. Follow along with me when I read. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he was come from God and went to God, he riseth from supper, lay aside his garments, 
and took a towel and girded himself. Let's stop there for a second. The, the context leading into this story is Jesus understands that his days on planet earth are numbered. He understands that it is less than a week away that he's going to be crucified. Physically, his life will end. Of course, he will raise again and ascend to the Father, but, but his days with his disciples are numbered and they are few. And, and they're sitting at the supper, and when supper's over, Jesus takes this towel, he girds himself the water, and as we'll continue to read in a moment, washes the disciples' feet. And that's because there's just something about this that he wants to do, this one last act. Think about it. All the time Jesus spent with his disciples, and he's at the end. One last thing I want to leave you with. I'm going to wash your feet. I'm going to wash your feet. Now, is it just because he wanted to make sure that when he left, their feet didn't stink? No, of course not. Of course there's more to it. Because your feet provide for you, first off, the ability to walk, right? Your feet provide the ability to walk. Uh, If you don't have feet, it's very difficult for you to walk. And the other thing is very similar to that is that your feet provide the ability to balance And so to move forward, propel yourself forward, to progress in this life, to maintain balance in your life, and we'll be making spiritual applications of these things as we go forward. It's critically important that your feet are whole and that they're healthy. You need to take care of your feet. There's just something about it. I want to draw your attention to Romans chapter 10. It should come up on the screen. Starting in verse 13, a verse that many of us are very familiar with. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Probably the verse that's used more than any other verse in all the Bible to help lead people to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Whoever calls upon his name, asking him to forgive them their sins, shall be saved. It is the gospel mission. It is the great commission. It is our duty here on earth. It is the pinnacle of why we are here to understand that verse and after we understand it, to take it to other people. Continuing the next verse, verse 14. How then shall they call on him in whom they've not believed? How then shall they believe in him and who they've not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Have you ever read that verse and just thought about that thing? Isn't that weird? God sees your feet as very beautiful when you use them to carry God's word to people who need to get it. That's what makes your feet beautiful. That's what they're given to us for. Jesus uses this act of washing the disciples' feet to illustrate something much, much bigger to his disciples. It may not be immediately evident to you. By the time we're done today, you will completely understand it's not that difficult. But I'm going to tell you that if the disciples don't get this lesson, can I say if we don't get this lesson, it will affect our balance. It will affect our walk. It will affect our ability to take the gospel to other people. It's that important. And so I call this message today, Restoring Relationships. And that's what it's going to be all about when we get into it. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we look into this story, and for many of us, it's a familiar story, and for some of us, maybe not so much, but I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would take your inspired word through your Holy Spirit and 
Speak it into our hearts. Open up the understanding. Give us minds to understand, ears to hear, hearts to believe what you're saying to us, what you are teaching through this act of washing the disciples' feet. Something very curious, something that's often made me wonder, what's that all about? And Lord, as we compare your scripture with your scripture and as we lay this out, I pray that you would help us all to see exactly what each of us need to do, but not, as we've said many times before, just be hearers, but doers of your word. I pray that you change us today and pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, the first thing that we're going to see is that it has to do with our fellowship with God. It has to do with our fellowship together with God himself. Let's continue reading starting in verse number five. So he took the towel, he girded himself in verse four. After that, verse five, he poureth water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus saith unto him, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit, and ye are clean, but not all, for he knew who should betray him. Therefore said he, You're not all clean. So after he had washed their feet and had taken his garments and was set down again, he said unto them, Know ye what I've done unto you? Now, in the physical context of the life that they lived in Israel, it's an arid, dry, desert environment. Obviously, the temperatures are warm throughout the year. They typically would dress themselves in, in cooler clothing, and they would typically wear sandals with bare feet on, in the sandals, of course. And so, by the way, don't ever wear socks with sandals. Can I just say that? Just don't do that. Amen. I should get an amen off of that. And so they're walking everywhere they're going, and obviously the dust clings to your feet, and just living life, your feet get dirty. Uh, this was not all that different from our experience in Albania, and although we would wear shoes, tennis shoes, whatever it might be, walking around through the day, your, our shoes would get dirty every single day because it's just dusty everywhere, and we walked everywhere. And what would happen is when we would come home, for example, after being out walking, especially in the summertime when you're wearing sandals or something, when we would come home, literally my family, all four of us would go. We had two bathrooms in our home. We'd split up and go to the two bathrooms, and immediately everybody would wash their own feet just to clean them up because they were dirty. I mean, they were just dirty. And so in Jesus' day, of course, what's going on is they, you know, they, they've, they're bathed. These men are bathed, okay? But their feet are dirty because they're just walking around in life, and that's just a normal thing. And that's, that's the context of what we see physically going on here. And so Jesus takes the basin. Typically, this would be a, a, a service performed by some servant of the household, a very lowly kind of a, let me serve you in the most base way or whatever. And Jesus doesn't say anything at all. He's the Lord. He's the master. He's, he's, he's Jesus, he leads them, and, and he, at the end of the supper, he just takes the towel and the water, and without saying a word, he just begins to do this thing of washing their feet. And Peter is the guy who always says what most of us think, 
Okay, and Peter jumps in and he says, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? In other words, Peter was just saying, oh my goodness, you're the Lord and I'm your follower. If anybody washes anybody's feet, I should be washing yours, man. And Jesus responds to him and and he says, look, you don't really even understand what I'm doing here. He says in verse number seven, what I do thou knowest not now. You'll know it eventually. Okay, but right now you don't really understand what I'm doing to you. What does that mean exactly? Well, just looking at that verse, verse number seven, you don't even know, Peter, you don't understand the significance of what I'm doing right now. What that tells me is that there is one thing that is 100% certain, one thing that this foot washing cannot possibly mean is that it's just about dirty feet. Because that would have been obvious. In other words, this exercise is not about simply performing a humbling service, as is frequently taught in many churches. People say, well, we should have a foot washing service because that's an opportunity for us all just to humble ourselves and to serve one another. And that may be true on its very simplest level. That is a humbling way to serve one another. There's no doubt about it. We're not busting out basins here and all of you are saying, thank God. But let me tell you, that cannot be what Jesus meant. Jesus could not possibly have meant this thing that I do for you Okay, this is exactly, this is all it's all about. I just want to wash your feet. I just want to humbly serve you. Because that was very obvious to Peter and everybody instantly. That's why Peter said, what, what, what are you doing? How are you washing my feet? And he says, listen, you, you don't understand. Eventually you'll understand, but right now you, you don't even get it. So it cannot possibly simply be just a humbling, lowly service to one another in the body of Christ. Whatever it is I'm doing to you, Peter, will become obvious eventually, okay? Not yet. So there's a greater lesson demonstrated here. And the lesson that he's trying to teach, as Jesus always does so masterfully, is he uses an illustration. He uses some demonstrative way. He does something physically, that illustrates a teaching, a lesson to be learned spiritually. And that's exactly what's going on in this story right here. It says in verse number eight, so Peter gets this thing and he's like, look, I, 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 don't, I don't understand how you're doing this. He says to him, thou shalt never wash my feet. And I, I realize, listen, when he says that, you know, we, man, we, I think we bust hard on Peter sometimes. Like, you know, here he is. He's commanding the Lord what to do. Or I think Peter is just as sincerely and humbly as he knows how, saying, Lord, you are so much greater than I. Certainly not should you be serving me in this way. And Jesus is very gracious, of course, and he says, look, Peter, if you don't allow me to do this, we have no part together. And, of course, Peter's like, oh, well, I want all my part with you, so wash me all over. Okay, and that's awesome, man. I mean, the attitude that he had was awesome. It really, really was. But you need to understand that this thing is necessary. This word part, this little Bible study, okay, the word part that shows up in verse number 8. Jesus says, if I wash thee not, thou hast no part 
with me. That word part literally means fellowship. That's what it means. It doesn't mean that you have no life with me, okay? It means that you have no fellowship together with me. And I'm going to prove it to you. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 and 15 say this. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? Bunch of rhetorical questions repeated in many different ways. What fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? You see, these are just synonyms. These are different words that the Holy Spirit uses through the Apostle Paul to write this letter in, in, to Corinth. And he uses these different words to basically say believers and unbelievers do not need to be yoked up together because they don't have anything in common. And so the different myriad of words that he uses include fellowship, communion, concord, part. You have no part. You have no fellowship. We have no communion together. If I don't wash your feet, Peter, then we can't walk together. We'll see in a minute. Jesus obviously represents perfect, clean holiness. Peter's feet are dirty. Peter's feet are dirty, as all of ours are. So this idea of part, it's something you share. It's having things in common. If you were to look at the very end of your Bible in Revelation chapter 22 and verse number 19, a verse that's often misunderstood unless you look at the words God chose to use. It says in Revelation twenty-two nineteen, 19, if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life, not his name out of the book of life, not his place his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. This is not a verse showing that somebody is losing their salvation. But it is a verse showing that somebody is losing some rewards. They're losing some millennial inheritance. In other words, God's just trying to say, my word is now done. I've finished saying what I need to say. And if you mess with my book, we lose fellowship. You mess with my book and you will lose opportunities for rewards in millennial inheritance. It's that important. Why? Jesus Christ himself, among the different titles and ways that he has described to us in the scripture, is called the Word of God. And the written Word of God is the written manifestation of the very mind, will, and emotion of God Almighty. This is his very soul. This is everything he thinks. This is everything he communicates with us. And if we take stuff out and we add stuff to it and we twist it and manipulate it by interpreting it out of context, he's like, wow, you, you, you're really stabbing me in the back. I mean, you're, you're really not walking with me. So I'm going to take your part. We don't have part together anymore. He's not saying you're lost. So Jesus needs to wash our feet in order to preserve our fellowship together with him. You see that? Peter wants all the fellowship that he can get, right? So he's like, hey, wash me all over. My hands and my head and everything. Get the back too. I can't reach. Like, get it all, man. 
And, and Jesus is like, okay, great attitude, Pete. I, I got to clarify. You know, we can't, we can't give up theology for the sake of your attitude. It's a good attitude, but we got to keep the theology straight. So Jesus saith unto him, verse 10, he that is washed needeth not any more washing, in other words, save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit, and ye are clean, but not all, because he knew that Judas is a betrayer. He knew that Judas never was saved, by the way. Uh, G- Judas was never a part of them, but, and he understood that Judas was that guy, so he, he carefully excludes Judas from the crowd, but all of you 11, okay, are already clean, and that's exactly what that means. Ye are clean is the cash equivalent to ye are saved, Okay, you've been born again. You have been washed. You have been absolutely cleaned, and you are a new creature. You are in me. I am in you. This is, this is new life. Okay, so the bathing, the full washing, the full cleansing, okay, is the picture of being saved. And that's made very clear throughout the scriptures as well. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Notice verse 11. And such were some of you. But you're washed, but you're sanctified, but you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. All of us had our testimony in this evil world to some varying extents of participation in evil deeds until the day we got saved and Christ cleansed us. He washed us. He made us whole. He made us clean. Revelation chapter 1, verse number 5 says this. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth, Unto him that loved us, notice, and washed us from our sins in his own blood. So ye are washed, ye are clean, every whit, totally cleansed, means you're saved. That's all it means. It doesn't mean anything else. And all the disciples are already in that category, except Judas. All the disciples are already in. So verse number 12, he comes to him and he says, after he washed their feet, taken his garments, sat down again, and he said, okay, now, Pete, <laughs> do you understand what I've done? Do you, do you get what I'm doing here? You know, maybe they didn't. Let's look at a few simple comparisons, okay, as we get through this. And, and I put a couple things in your notes. Feet get dirty. It's inevitable right? Obviously. So in their context, they're wearing sandals, they're walking around, they're bathed, but yet when you walk from place to place, your feet just get dirty. It happens. Now, in, in this context of our spiritual comparison that Jesus is trying to give us, here's the deal. We're saved. We're cleansed before him, but we walk around in this world. We are in the world, yet not of it, and, and just walking our life through this world. By the way, Jesus Christ last time I remember, commanded us to go into all the world. Did he not? He, he, he literally, he knew that we'd be getting dirty feet. He literally sent us in the midst of this world so that we would walk through the world. And when we do that, what happens is, 
listen, we are born again in the Spirit, but yet we still have our flesh. And that flesh, guys, it's just nasty. I mean, you know, I, this year marks 30 years that I've been saved, and that's cool for me, okay? But, you know, I still got flesh, and I still do stupid things, and the people that know me best know it best, and those of you that don't know me that good, thank God for you, you know, really. Um, but, man, you just never shed this thing, and you walk through this world, and, and you do stupid things, and you do things that are wrong, and you know they're wrong, and you're sorry for them, and you maybe didn't intend to, and maybe you did intend to. I don't know. But we pick up little sinful behaviors. We pick up little things that we shouldn't be a part of, and they cling to our feet. Our feet get dirty walking through this evil world. It's inevitable. But the good news is, right, that Jesus provides a way for us to keep our feet clean. He provides a way. And so in this illustration, what did he do? He got down and he took the towel and he got the water and he began to wash the disciples' feet. This is, this is very simple, but you have to see the Bible picture with water. Now, look in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 26 because the Bible will define for you what he's trying to teach us. It says, talking about Jesus and the church and that comparison between husband and wife, okay? It's the picture of Christ and the church. And talking about Christ and the church says that he, Christ, might sanctify and cleanse it, the church, with the washing of water of the word. And so what we have is this beautiful picture that, yes, we're sent out into this world. Yes, we're already clean, but yet our feet get dirty while we're doing it. And what we need is for the Lord Jesus Christ every so often to come along and cleanse us, to clean up these little issues that we have in our life. What are the little issues that you have in your life? And if you've let them go for any length of time, they become big issues, and instead of just a little bit of dust around your toenails, you know, you got that crusty mess in between and all, I mean, you got all that going on. And you need Jesus to clean that up. You need him to clean that up. And it says the word of God is the thing that he uses to do that. In John chapter 15, if you're, back, if you're in John, you can flip over the page in verse number three, it says, now you are clean, how? Through the word which I have spoken unto you. And Psalms chapter 119 and verse number 9, it says, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way, his path, his road that he is walking down according to the word of God. That's how he cleanses his way. So the Lord Jesus takes a basin of water and he washes the disciples' feet, picturing for us how the word of God, the Lord Jesus uses the word of God to cleanse us of all these little messes we get in while we as saved people walk through this present evil world. Keep that in mind. Keep your finger in John 13. Flip over to 1 John chapter number 1. And there's only 10 verses. We're going to read them all. 1 John chapter number 1. The same human author, John, writes, and he says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, 
and our hands have handled of the word, capital W, of life. Talking about the Lord Jesus. For the life was manifested and we have seen it and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifest unto us. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And in verse number three, God gives you the context of what he's talking about in 1 John chapter one. And so he writes to these people and he's talking about the revelation of Jesus Christ and all the things that he represents. And he says, that which you've seen and heard, we declare it unto you, why? So that we all, as brothers in Christ, we can have fellowship together, but really our fellowship with one another is only based on the fact that each and every one of us has fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you that your joy may be full, amen? This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. And if we walk in the light as he's in the light, we have fellowship one with another. In other words, one with another, us with Jesus. We have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ his son cleanseth us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. We all sin. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned ever, we make him a liar because he said we have. We make him a liar and his word is not in us. And so in this short little chapter we see this idea of fellowship and, and we see how it's all about walking together how can two walk together except they be agreed Amos said and so if we're going to walk with him in first John the comparison used is light and darkness he is light and in him is no darkness and if we walk in darkness and we say we're walking with him we're just liars because <laughs> we're really not walking with him because Jesus does not walk in darkness amen now, just for the sake of today's illustration and the comparison, because the context is exactly the same, just replace light and darkness with clean and dirty. Okay? Jesus walks totally clean. And we walk through this world and we get dirty. And you say, wait, but he told us to do it. Yes, I understand. Maybe because he wants to clean us up continually, regularly, periodically. Maybe because he wants us to come to him. Maybe because he wants us to continually have that very personal fellowship experience. And it's humbling. You say it's humbling for Jesus to get down and wash your feet? Okay. How humbling do you think it really was for Peter to allow Jesus to do it? If you've never had the opportunity to go on a foreign mission trip, I encourage you to plan to do something like that sometime and Oftentimes you can go on a foreign mission trip and you meet some wonderful Christian people who live in areas of the world that they have very, very little material wealth. But they have Jesus in their heart and it's the most inspiring thing in the world to just be around them and, and, and you're in the midst of them and, and maybe this has happened to you, it's happened to me so many times before I ever was a career missionary. That you'd be in a place and, and one specific story of mine happened when I was in the Philippines many, many years ago, but it doesn't matter. It happens all over the world and, and, and here I am trying to do something to try and be a blessing and encouragement to these Filipinos. 
And at the end of the day, they ended up serving me and helping me and doing things for me so many more fold than I ever did for them. And I have so much and they had so little and I, I got to tell you, they did that with joy and it was humbling to me. It was humbling to me to be served. It was humbling. All the more if it's the Lord Jesus who's doing that. And so he wants us to do that. He wants to forgive us of our daily sins. He wants us to walk with him together. He wants to use the water of the word to point out our faults. He wants us to submit to him and to agree with him that we need cleansing. He wants us to come to him and say, Lord, I, I blew it. I don't know what's going on. I need you to help me. I need you to clean me up. I, I want to restore this fellowship together with you. It's that important. And so we confess that we've blown it. We just agree with him that that's the case and we just allow him to do what only he can do and that's clean our feet so that we can keep walking. Keep short accounts. If we do that, according to 1 John chapter 1 and verse 4, it says that we'll have full joy. We'll have full joy. And if you've spent any time in your Christian life allowing the sin and the, the, the filth of this world to kind of stick to your feet and bring you down and you haven't been to Jesus for some cleansing lately, maybe you've lost your joy. Maybe you've wondered why it's a, it's a drag. Maybe you're wondering why, man, I don't know if I can just keep on anymore. I'm so tired of this. I'm not doing anything, bro, really. I... Called microphone company. All right. And uh, I, I don't know, you know, but he gives us full joy if we'll do that. Let's go to the next point. So the story begins with Christ washing their feet so that they will have fellowship with him. The second part of the story continues in verse 13, talking about our fellowship with one another, fellowship with believers. Understand that the audience in front of him are his disciples. Okay, I understand Judas is there, but he excluded Judas. And the 11 disciples, his followers, okay? Verse 13. Ye call me Master and Lord, and ye say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. And that's where sometimes there are churches that actually make this an ordinance. And they say every so often, like we do the Lord's Supper, they clear off a space and say we're all going to wash one another's feet. And you know, I don't have a problem with people who want to do that. I don't really think that's what John 13 is teaching. But sometimes people want to do that symbolically and, and make it worth whatever they want to make that worth. I, again, I don't think that's the theology here. But that's where, they would, that's where they would get it. He says, look, I've done it. Now y'all do it, Okay. Verse 15, for I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither is he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If you know these things, happy are ye if you do them. So he starts off and he says, look, you call me master and Lord, and that would be appropriate because indeed I am the master and the Lord. Master is Old English for teacher. Okay, so Jesus is teaching a lesson right here, right now. Good, you call me master, that's appropriate because I am teaching you something. And you call me Lord, and Lord just means I'm the boss. 
I'm, I'm the big cheese. I'm in charge, man. I'm the jefe. I'm here. Okay? And uh, the, the, I'm, the, I'm the guy who calls the shots. You do what I say. He says, that's right. I'm the master and I'm the Lord. That being the case, you've seen me do it to you. Now I'm going to give you a command. You go do it to one another. You go do it to one another. And if we understand what he's teaching us about how we're already saved, we're already clean, but we pick up dirt along the way, and we need to go to Jesus to get that right, now he directs each and every one of us who say that we're clean, who say that we're saved, who say that we know him, who pick up dirt all along the way to go to each other and get it right. To go to each other and get it right. So just like in our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and walking through this world, we, we pick up in the course of normal daily life these sins and these things that we shouldn't do and they cling to us. That also happens in the course of normal daily life between Christian brothers and sisters. We live life as saved, yes, forgiven, yes, sinners. None of us are perfect we all say and do things we shouldn't say and do. We all say things and do things that we're maybe sorry for later. Sometimes we get so crazy we're not even sorry for them. I don't know. But things happen. Life, ha- life is messy. And we get in messes. And we get twisted with brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, you've got to take care of that. You've got to go to each other. And you've got to wash each other's feet. Now, we're not going to lose this symbolism because it's a fact. We've we got to understand this. So think about your life. Think about the life of those that you know. What do we, I say we, do? What, do, what frequently happens when I'm living my life and something happens that causes dirt between me and some other Christian brother or sister? Well, frequently, we just get mad. <laughs> we get mad and, and we... Maybe we gossip about them. Uh, maybe we try and rally support from others to take our side and to, and to kind of agree with us against the other one. Sometimes we veil it in a prayer request. And, and, and we just go and we get, we get upset. We, we hold a grudge. We, we avoid them. We, we can't see them anymore. We sometimes quit going to church because I can't walk in that room and look at that person ever again. And Jesus says, man, that is, that is not the way to live. That's not what I intend for you to do. I understand that it's a messy world. I understand that things happen. But just as I'm willing to clean you up, be willing to clean each other up. That's what we should do. We need to wash their feet. We need to preserve personal fellowship with one another, and that's what this story's all about. I mean, just, just think with me for a second about this. Seriously, y'all. Let's, let's go visit the land of what if. What if we really all did this? I mean, what if we really kept short accounts with everybody else that names the name of Jesus Christ? What if we didn't just hide and get mad and avoid and run and gossip and all of that and we just would restore 
the relationship. Maybe you've got people who are very dear friends and something happened. And over the course of time where something happened, you've drifted apart because nobody, nobody took the initiative to put a towel around him and get a basin of water, the Word of God, and to go and make it right. And maybe you're thinking, I miss my friend. They were my friend. They're my brother, my sister, and I miss them. Wouldn't it be great if you could restore it? Wouldn't it be great if we always restored it? Wouldn't it be great if we really, really, really loved everybody and they loved us back? That's the plan he's got. The reality is we're in a sinful world. The reality is we're in our flesh, yes, but we have the ability to rise above that. And that's exactly what he's telling us to do. Listen, you gotta get this. This is so important. Back to the story of Jesus, okay? In the, in the picture that he's giving, they have dirt on their feet. It represents the sin in their life that needs to be taken care of so that they can have fellowship with God. Who in that relationship between the disciples and Jesus is the guilty party for broken fellowship? Well, of course, the disciples, right? Of course. Who is the one that takes the initiative to wash the feet? Jesus. Just let that soak for a second. The one who was offended seeks reconciliation, not the offender. The one who was offended Jesus would have been the one who's offended in the relationship. He seeks reconciliation, right? Not the offender, right? The disciples may not even have been aware of it. Now we're, we're back on the fellowship with believers point. You ever been offended? You ever had somebody do something to you or about you or behind your back or contrary to your testimony, your person, your witness, your life, your family. Have you ever had that happen against you? Of course you of course. We've all had that, every one of us. And and have you immediately thought it's their fault, not mine? And you might be right, because that happens. It's their fault. Yes. And so you immediately think, therefore, it's their responsibility to get it right. Isn't that what you think? That's logical, right? It is logical. It's just not biblical. (laughs) It's just not biblical. Because really, and I say this nice, I know how, some blockheads just don't know what they've done. (laughs) We got to go help them, man. I mean, we just got to help them. And you know what? In order to do that, by the way, to be the one who was offended and to be the one who goes to restore the relationship? That's humbling, isn't it? Just like washing somebody's feet. It's humbling service. That's what Jesus did. Matthew chapter 18, verse number 15. 
Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, the brother is at fault, thou art without fault. Okay? Trying to stick with the context of the language here. If thy brother shall trespass against thee, you go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. And if he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. And there's a procedure that continues. Jump down to verse 21. Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him till seven times? Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until 70 times seven. In other words, just keep doing it. Just keep doing it. And so whatever happens in a relationship, if your brother or sister has offended you, you go to them. They might not be aware of it. And you do everything in your power to make it right. They may refuse, but you do what you can do. So Jesus sets the example. He does it first to us because our fellowship with one another is based only on the fact that we first have fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And he gives us the example. He's our master. He's our Lord. We are no better than he is. Him that is sent is not better than him that sent him. And he has sent us out to carry out his mission. We are his body. And we have to do what he has led us to do. And that is foot washing. It's forgiveness. It's not an ordinance of the church. But let me tell you what Jesus Christ ordained for us to do restore relationships he wants us to be healers of interpersonal relationships how do we do that well it says in verse number 15 that you should do as i have done to you a quick reference to ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32 be ye kind one to another tender-hearted forgiving one another even as god for christ's sake hath forgiven you So you take the initiative, you go to them. It's humbling to do that. You take the water of God's word, you talk with them, you help them to understand what has transpired. You offer forgiveness for the offense. And we use scripture in restoration because the Bible says that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. And so we use the scripture and we restore a relationship. That's what he wants us to do. Look in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. And Paul writes this, he says, To whom ye forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgave anything to whom I forgave it, for your sakes forgave I it, In the person of Christ, notice verse 11, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. When you're unwilling to forgive somebody who's offended you, they might not suffer, but you do. You do. And Satan gets an advantage because one of the devil's devices that he likes to use, and oh, does he use it effectively, in our churches today. It's bitterness. It's division. Because if he can segment us and if he can get us apart from one another, remember I just said we are the body and members in particular. The body is healthy when it all works together. But if we're fragmented and segmented and won't talk to each other and look at each other and deal with each other, 
then we can't have beautiful feet that take the gospel to the world. We can't do it. It'll mess up our opportunity to witness and to be the servants Christ wants us to be to help other people be saved and ultimately Satan gets the advantage. Will you commit today to not letting him get the advantage over you? Will you commit today to say, look, man, maybe you're sitting here and thinking, I wish I hadn't come here today (laughs) because I know exactly who the Lord's put on my heart and I do not desire to go hunt them down. But listen, this is good news, y'all. It's good news that God loves you enough and has talked to you and put on your heart exactly what you need to do because in your willingness to go to one another, you are at the same time allowing him to wash your dirty feet. You're allowing him to do that to you too. It's just that important. And all through the scriptures, and, and this is a whole other Bible study, but if you just in your mind, those of you who are, know the scriptures, in just a number of weeks or months, we'll be getting to John chapter 17, where Jesus, the whole chapter is Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane before his crucifixion. And the context of the whole prayer of John 17 is about the unity of his disciples, that the, that the people who follow in my name will be one, that they'll be together. So we can do the mission. That's what it's all about. And so, as it says in verse 17 in our text, if you know these things, okay, (laughs) but happy are ye if you do them. Be not hearers only, but doers of the word. Don't deceive yourself. So, just like it said in 1 John 4, it's full joy. Happy are ye if you practice these things. Don't you want full joy? Don't you want it for the person that maybe you're on the outs with? Listen, we're going to pray in just a second, but let me just say this. If, if the person that God put on your mind happens to be in this room, Will you, when we pray in just a minute, promise him, promise the Lord that you'll do your very best to track that person down before you leave the doors? Will you consider that? And and maybe the person that God's put on your heart is not currently under this roof and for whatever reason, you know, you're not not here to get. So will you pray? Will you commit to the Lord that before you pillow your head tonight, You'll do whatever you can do to make a visit, make a call, send an email, do something to initiate some conversation, to wash their feet, to initiate restoration and healing, to clean up the dirt, and to love each other again. Will you commit to do that? You know, doing that is humbling for sure, but you know what else it is? It's worth it. It really is. It's worth it. Let's pray together.